following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Preach while Steve's been away. So we're going to continue in Colossians. And uh, one of the challenges I was expressing this to my wife the other day is, when Steve gets to preach week after week after week, he can say, hey, you remember last time, a week ago? And I know some of you are like, what happened yesterday? And you want me to remember? Well, I have the challenge of saying, do you remember in August? <laughs> so hopefully you have amazing memories. The, the passage is written by, by, by Paul to the community of believers in a small town in modern day Turkey. And the focus is to the redeemed. He's not speaking to those who are unknowing of who Christ is and what he's done, but to the redeemed. And today's passage focuses on how they should interact with the world and especially within the body of Christ. So let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you again for this day, this opportunity that we have to come before you and to, to worship you, Lord. I pray that you will make yourself known to us. Lord, prepare our hearts to hear from your word. Lord, I pray that you will help me to be emptied of myself and to be filled with your spirit. Help us to hear your truth and not just the word of man. Lord, just be with us as we gather in front of you, opened and ready, that your spirit will transform our hearts. Lord, I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Am I still echoey? Or is that just me? I don't... Lance has given me the good head shake, so that's all right. So here's the question that I have is, why does there seem to be so much struggle in the church? If we're all part of the same family, why do we have so many issues? And, and as I was thinking through this, I thought, well, why do we have so many issues in our own family, our biological families, our husbands and our wives and our kids and our grandparents? And it was Christmas and you're probably with extended family and that adds even more issues. And it's 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 kind of simple when it comes to our biological family, because we don't listen or we don't talk in the first place or this is how our family's done this forever. And we will continue to do it. Forever. And there, there's, there's, there's a ton of reasons. Many, many reasons. And, and God has given me this heart for the body, for Christ's body. And, and there have been times that when I see how the body interacts, or I hear from friends of mine who are, are serving in, in mission fields or in other churches about some of the things going on. 
I, I literally will weep. Because the bride of Christ oftentimes acts more like a whore than one betrothed to God. I had this pastor who also mentored me and he would always use this phrase and it stuck with me and and a lot of my youth leaders who work with me know this phrase. He would say, the best part of ministry is the people. The worst part of ministry is the people. Because we're dealing with people who are just sinful. And the other issue that we have is that the most important person in the community is me. At least that's what we all think at one time or another about ourselves. The most important person in this community is me. I know some of you are looking at me like, how can you say that about me? After all the good things that I've done. Or maybe you're thinking, Pastor Kurt's probably talking about that guy over there. Let me give you an example of a person in church. Let's, let's say his name is Kurt. Right, Kurt struggles with stuff. And as I was driving to the church, I was like, maybe I shouldn't do this because pastors shouldn't talk about the problems they have. But I'm young and stupid and I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Thanks, Obed. Kurt struggles with at times thinking that he knows the best way to do everything. If you don't believe him, you can ask his wife. Let's say her name is, I don't know, Leah. (laughs) And that's not it. I mean, when things don't go right in Kurt's life, and and by, by not going right, I mean like they're just not happening the way he planned or the way that he hoped. He takes it as a personal attack that someone's trying to wrong him. And he, he has compassion and patience with people, but for some reason, when he goes home, there are certain days where it seems to evaporate from him. And he has absolutely none for his wife or his kids. And I, I don't know, I think some of us here can agree or, or can relate to this guy named Kurt. And if I went just a few more sentences, you probably all would have something that you're like, yeah, that's, that's true. But you see, the problem that Kurt has is that often the God of Kurt's life is not God at all, but himself. And he knows it's wrong, so he tries so hard to do what's right. But that in itself is the issue. So Paul's passage today is for the Kurtz or whatever your name might be today. Because you see, Paul fully understands the truth that we're about to read. Because prior to his miraculous conversion, Paul was a pious man who had some false motives. So let's read Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God... Holy and beloved, put on hearts of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. As you read through this passage, there are some truths that you need to be awakened to. And some of them you might say, yeah, I I know these things. But knowing it does not mean it's true. Because until you firmly grasp these truths, what you might be doing right now to the body could be more harmful than good. You might remember this word piety. I used it a couple months ago. Think back, it's back there somewhere. But the first truth that you need to understand, that you need to grasp, is that false piety will never unify the body of Christ. False piety will never unify the body of Christ. Without true heart change, Sinfulness will always continue to boil to the top. And you see, when sinfulness is revealed, what it does is divide. And if you're trying to pretend like you're this pious person, it's not to unify, but it's so that you will be exalted. You want people to look at you and say, look at how amazing that person is. They're so spiritual. They're so holy. They're praying all the time. What flows out in your life in those difficult situations is a mirror of what's true to your heart. You can't say, this is what I believe, but in difficult situations, this is what I do. God's not about the facade, the outside. It's the heart that He craves. But we as as human beings, we care about what we look like to everybody else. And oftentimes the last person that we care about how they view us is God. And we will work long and hard to make sure that we look perfect to everybody we meet. And as I was studying this passage, I don't know why the first few times I read through it, I just, I almost skipped the the truth. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, love, they're not natural. We don't do those things naturally. I mean, think about it. We justify all the time why we don't do it. It's been a really long day, so I just don't have patience. The baby's teething. I burned dinner. 
When we think about compassion, I mean, you could be walking down the street and, and I grew up just north of New York City. So we'd go into the city and there'd be homeless people there all the time going down into the subway or, or whatever. And, and my first thought was never compassion. It was always like that guy probably is addicted to drugs. You know, I'm not going to give him anything. Probably go spend it on something inappropriate. Or, or, or patience. You know, we live in such a world that's so busy that what I need to do is so important that I could care less about you. You don't understand what my schedule is like. I have four kids. I'm youth pastor. I have a wife. I, I coach. I don't have time to have patience. I need to get this done now. Maybe I'm the only one who struggles with these things. But you see, with false piety, you're trying to apply these virtues to your life to look righteous. But you see, it has limits because it's not true to you. I think of, of some of these actors. One of my favorite actors is Daniel Day-Lewis. And um, when he plays a role... He's not like Daniel Day-Lewis and then steps on the set. Like the whole time he's filming a movie, he's that character. And I'm not sure if you've seen some of his movies, but I would not want to meet that character in real life. He be, it becomes so true to him that he talks that way even when he's talking to his family. But you see, false piety is not that way. False piety is like the other actors who just show up and say, let me pretend this is who I am. And as soon as I go home, I'm going to be who I really am. I think of um, Jeff Smith. Some of you guys know Jeff Smith here. He and I, um, we like motorcycles. And uh, we've been trying to get together and ride, but now it's all cold and now we've got to wait a few months and stuff. But Jeff finds old motorcycles and refurbishes them, mostly Triumphs. And imagine Jeff, you know, he's driving around or he's looking on KSL or, or something like that, Craigslist, and he finds this Triumph and he goes and he sees it and it's, it's in bad shape. So he wheels it into his garage and he sands it down and he knocks out some minor dings and... You know, he applies some new paint to it and polishes up the chrome. And it looks just the way it did in the ad 20 years ago. And he rolls it out of his garage and the sun just hits it right and it glistens. But as soon as you turn it on, you find out the pistons aren't timed right. Or the transmission isn't meshing. Or that he forgot to put the brakes on. Or the, it starts to rain and, and, and the paint begins to bubble because you find out that Jeff took some shortcuts when applying the paint. See, that's what false piety is. It looks great. But the outside look says nothing about the inside. Because as soon as stress is applied to the engine, to your heart, you find out that it's not working right. It's not there. Now, this analogy falls short because um, unlike Jeff and motorcycles, God doesn't refurbish. He actually creates new. Sorry, Jeff. God, God's got one up on you there. And, and, and you hear this over and over and over again. You hear it from me pretty much every time I'm up here. I know you hear it from Pastor Steve or Pastor Porter or anybody who sat, sat stood behind this pulpit. 
has told you over and over again, you can't do it by yourself. So the question arises, how do we do it then? Which brings us to the second truth. You must don the graces offered through the head of the body. Don the graces offered through the head of the body, who's Christ Jesus. Now your first thought might be, I don't deserve that. You'd be 100% correct. You don't. Because if you did deserve it, it wouldn't be grace. But let me take a, a moment here. I need to stop here because I know that, like, you know, we all understand that, right? That you don't deserve grace. But, but when we leave the church and we go out the door, something like doesn't fire right in our synapses or, or, we shake our heads. Yeah, I know. I don't deserve it. But then we go home and we think that because we were so virtuous or because we were so good, that was the reason why God chose us. Or that if I work hard enough and behave right long enough, God will forgive us. But quite the opposite is true. You see, when you are still a sinner, an enemy to the sovereign God, He chose you. He chose you. You wouldn't have even chosen Him. You see, you've been cleansed through the life and the death of Christ Jesus. It's because of Him that you are made holy and righteous. You're His beloved. A cherished part of his family. How many times has someone ever called you my beloved? I know my dad loves me and I love my dad, but he has never said, Kurt, you are my beloved. Even when my sisters aren't around. He has never said, you're my beloved. You know when else in the Bible that term beloved is used? When it's talking about the nation of Israel being set apart. Or a little bit earlier actually in Colossians and a couple other spots. When it's talking about Christ. Christ is God's beloved and now he's using this term beloved with me. Not because of anything that I've done. Excuse me. So how do we do it? You're saying that we can't do it by ourselves. How do we put these things on? How do we how, how do we do it? Give me the lowdown. Give me the 12 steps. I'll give you one step. It's really easy. You ready? Get your pens ready. Surrender. That's it. Surrender. Just earlier in the passage, it's verses 7 through 10 of, of, of Colossians 3. He's talking about put off the old self. Take these things off and put on the new man. The new man is Christ Jesus. 
So what he's saying is, take off who you are. Surrender these things. Say, I can't do it anymore. The only way I can do this is through you, and I'm going to put you on. Verse 16 of of our passage today tells us to let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. To let something dwell in you, you need to surrender those things that it's going to control. The word of God's powerful. It's not just ink and paper. It's alive. There's power in it. And to have it dwell richly, that term to dwell richly, kind of actually goes back to the Old Testament. When God is, a funny word, Shekinah glory, which Shekinah means His divine presence. God's presence was dwelling in the tabernacle or the first temple. And He's now saying, Paul, right, expert of Old Testament literature, is now saying, have the word of Christ Dwell richly. Have the glory of Christ dwell richly. His glory is in His Word. His glory is in Christ. And we can have it dwelling in us. You need to grasp this. Grasp this glory. I love how the the, the verse finishes out because... When it's dwelling richly in us with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another. How are we doing these things? How are we teaching and admonishing? With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in our hearts. When you grasp this glory and it's dwelling in you, it will burst out in song. In singing. Do any of you guys sing? I'm going to pick on James. I just saw him back there. I, I'm coaching wrestling and James is actually one of my wrestlers. And um, they joke around with me because I'm singing constantly. I make up songs. They hate it because I'll be wrestling and singing at the same time to them. But I'm having fun. There's joy and I'm singing But we don't do that when it comes to our spiritual life. We sing here when it's up on the the, the screens, but when we go home, are we we so filled with this glory that it flows out in song? You see, when when you grasp these things and, and when this is dwelling in you, you become alive. And you see clearly, I mean, you see sin as sin. And you stop justifying why you do it. The more that Christ dwells in you, the more your will lines up with His and you even desire to sin less. We see ourselves for who we truly are. We're not trying to puff ourselves up as big, important people. We place ourselves in the correct position And we place Christ on His rightful throne. We no longer try to usurp others for power or pride or prestige. But something else happens when when we start doing this. 
You see, when, when we clothe ourselves in these graces, as they blossom in us, something else starts to occur. That's the third truth. The truth is, if you don't have these graces, if you're not clothed in this new man, if you're not donning the graces that God has given you, you will never get to this third truth. The graces given to us open us to peace, to thanksgiving, to forgiveness. These graces open us to peace, thankfulness, and forgiveness. When the love of Christ is dwelling in you, you no longer judge. You see, you can show compassion because you understand that, that a kind heart actually draws people to the Savior. When truth and wisdom dwells in you, you can show humility because you know that you are a sinner who has been redeemed, not by yourself, but through Christ. We can have meek spirits and patience because we know that the Lord is in control and that I'll humbly submit to His authority. We can have peace because we've placed our faith not in ourselves, but in the unchanging hope. Why would we ever fear when the ruler and creator of all things is dwelling in me, desires what's best for me, and actually takes joy in giving it to me? Why would I fear? A man once said that when a man loses his peace, it's proof that he lost something else, that he has given way to evil. Think about that. When do you lose peace? When things don't happen the way you want them to happen. When there's peace with God and when there's peace with who God has created you to be, that spills out into praise, into thanksgiving. And we have a ton to be thankful for. Turn over two pages, one or two pages. Colossians 1. Paul doesn't dance around why there should be thanksgiving in our hearts. He starts out right at the beginning of his letter in verse 12. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in his inheritance. Of the saints in light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. If that doesn't make you thankful. You're sleeping. Or in biblical terms, you're dead. So why don't people see our gratitude? Why don't people see our thanks? If we have so many, I mean, these are just three verses, but we have so much to be thankful for. Why don't people see it? How do you show it? You know, every time you get together with someone, do you just list all the problems that you have? 
or when you're praying, you're just like, this is going on and this is terrible and you need to fix this, God. And, and if you have time after fixing this, there's some other issues over here. And, and then we just finish our prayer with, praise your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. You see, in the text here, Paul's writing in the Greek when he's saying, be thankful. In the Greek, be thankful means more than just an attitude of thanksgiving. It's an attitude that shows itself in action. I mean, just a couple, it was a week and a half ago or so, Christmas time. All right, you, you open presents and you get that present from Aunt So and So, and it's a pair of socks, and she's sitting right there, and you're just like, "Thanks, a lot." You go put it over here, and then you get that present where the person even asks, like, "Send me a list of what you want." But they knew you so well that they got the most perfect thing, and you ripped it open. You're hugging that person. You're giving them extra food when it comes time to eat. I mean, like. You're, as they're leaving, you're like, thanks so much, thanks so much. You see the difference? Are you grateful for a pair of wool socks? Sure. But when you're really, truly thankful for something that you have, it flows out in action. It's, it's something that as as the body as the community that when it when when the thanksgiving and the praise is flowing out in action that's what draws attention to the body if all you're doing is moaning and groaning oh yeah and thanks for salvation by the way why why would anybody want to come to the lord what makes us any different than any other community of people who get together for whatever reason, with peace of Christ found in you, with a thankfulness for His mercy and His grace and His Lordship over your heart, you can forgive finally. Now here's another one I need to stop for a minute because, again, most of you guys know you're supposed to forgive, right? That's where you would shake your head or say yes or amen, brother, or something like that. I don't know. We're supposed to forgive. And we agree with that. And we even try to do it sometimes. But, but, but I want to stop here because this verse 13 in this passage hit me as I'm going through this. I know Steve talks about this a lot. Like sometimes the hardest part of being a pastor is preparing for sermons because you're just hit with like, man, that's something I'm struggling with. Or am I doing that really out of a true heart? In verse 13, Paul writes, Bear with one another and forgive each other. Whoever has a complaint against you, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Now Paul's saying, bear with one another. He's not saying, grit your teeth and power through this. That's how we take bearing with things. You know, bite down, bear on it. Right? He's saying, bear, like, hold it, uplift it, carry it over you. Bearing it. And then he says, forgive each other, whoever, whoever, not just when your buddy, but whoever has a complaint against you. Forgiveness isn't just for our friends. 
Forgiveness isn't just for easy situations. I forgive you. You didn't mean to step on my foot. Whatever the complaint, forgive. And it says, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Now, if, if you have the ESV, and I know a lot of people do, the ESV actually gets this last part of this verse better. Because it's not, so also should you. The ESV says, so also must you. You must forgive. It's not, I know I should, but I'm not going to. It's, no, I know I must forgive. Listen to this. This, this is key here. And, and you can, if you've been at any church for any length of time, you can see the keyness of this, this simple phrase. A community cannot function without forgiveness. Real forgiveness. A community cannot function without forgiveness. And why should we forgive? Because the Lord forgave us. Christ forgave us. When I read those three simple words, Christ forgave us, it just hits me. Think of it this way. God's love is patient. And he's willing to show love and show patience even when I'm provoking him. God reaches out to sinful men to forgive them. But man's habit is, if a person's a bad character, why waste your time forgiving? Or God makes the first move towards forgiveness. Man only reconciles when the offended party seeks forgiveness. God's forgiveness knows that we're going to sin again, and and most likely in the same exact way. But man's in the habit of only forgiving when there's a solemn oath that you'll never do it again. God's forgiveness is so complete that he grants adoption and gives gifts. If man even forgives, you won't even place that person on the same level that you held them before. God bore all the penalty for the wrongdoing. Man will only forgive if the offended person is willing to take the penalty. God's forgiveness offers complete restoration and honor, and man thinks that we should be praised just for putting up with the person who offended us. Spurgeon, a pastor, once said on forgiveness, suppose that someone had grievously offended any one of you and that he asked for forgiveness. Do you not think that you would probably say, well, yes, I forgive you, but I I can't forget it. Spurgeon goes on and says, ah, dear friends, that's, that's the type of forgiveness with one leg chopped off. It's lame forgiveness and not worth much. But isn't that what we do so often? We say we forgive, but, but we can't forget. We can't move on. Why can't we forgive? Simple question. 
If we're all part of the same family and all of us were brought into this family because of God, why can't we forgive one another? Ask yourself, are you thankful for the Lord and what He's given you? Is there a peace that comes from satisfaction in Christ as your reward and your hope? Are you petitioning the Lord for graces? Are you petitioning the Lord for this promised heart change? Because you see, if you have all these other things, everything else in the world is a waste. If Christ is truly your reward, getting your car banged up isn't that big of a deal and you will have patience even though it's your kid that did it. Just backing out of the driveway. You'd be willing to give away what you have because it's nothing. It's all going to burn away anyway. And why do you want to forgive? Because you want to be like Christ. And He forgave, so I want to forgive. Paul closes our passage in in such a simple phrase and we throw it out so often. I think I actually prayed it by accident, not even thinking about it. But he says in our last verse, Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to Him, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. You see, with, with, with a changed heart, with this new man clothing you, with these graces put on, all that we do is worship. Paul doesn't give us a list of rules here. You know, it says, whatever you do in word. He doesn't say just when you're talking about these things. Or whatever you do in deed, when you're doing these actions, these are the proper steps to take to accomplish this action to glorify God. He doesn't do that because we are a family. We are children of the Father. And if you know the Father, you know His will. My goal as a father isn't that when my boys get old enough, I have to keep saying, now that you're 22, don't forget. Put the toilet seat down. Don't forget. Look both ways before you cross the street. Don't forget. Do unto others as you want done unto you. Don't forget. They should know. In Dad's house, these are the rules. We don't need a list because... We have Christ in us. We know the Father's will. And everything inside of us desires for Him to be glorified. No matter what the situation, no matter where we are, no matter who's there with us, if the opportunity arises for God's glory to be shown, we will seize that opportunity. The community of believers should be... Sup- the community of believers must be supernaturally set apart. 
Complete and total transformation can not happen through human willpower. Our sinfulness, our old self, these things must be torn off, ripped off. Not stored for another day when we're by ourselves to put back on. Clothe yourself in the glory of God and put on His amazing graces. The Lord desires His church to be a beautiful bride. A beautiful bride. One that people can't help but rise and watch. Her amazing entrance to the altar. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.